There are 2,000 notebooks on these shelves, and each notebook contains about 250 pages. Get it? Anything about the killings? What sick, ridiculous puppets we are, and what a gross little stage we dance on. What fun we have, dancing, fucking, not a care in the world. Not knowing that we are nothing. We are not what was intended. Don't we? There's a lot more. On the subway today, a man came up to me to start a conversation. He made small talk, a lonely man talking about the weather and other things. I tried to be pleasant and accommodating, but my head began to hurt from his banality. I almost didn't notice it had happened, but I suddenly threw up all over him. He was not pleased, and I couldn't stop laughing. No dates. Placed on the shelves of no discernible order. Just his mind poured out on paper. Life's work. When retiring police detective William Somerset, played by Morgan Freeman, tackles a final case with the aid of newly transferred David Mills, played by Brad Pitt, they discover a number of elaborate and grisly murders. They soon realize they are dealing with a serial killer who is targeting people he thinks represent one of the seven deadly sins. Somerset also befriends Mills' wife, Tracy, who is pregnant and afraid to raise her child in the crime-riddled city. Thank you everybody for tuning into the Jitcool Podcast for another review and recap. Today we're reviewing and recapping David Finch's magnum opus. Maybe not entirely a magnet, magnum opus, because I think those things or that kind of category is reserved for their greatest film ever. Or who knows? This movie could be his greatest film ever. It was definitely the film that launched his career. This is Seven, written and directed. No, actually not written and directed, just directed by Devin Fincher. And written by Andrew Kevin Walker. This movie stars Morgan Freeman... Brad Pitt, Kevin Spacey, Andrew Kevin Walker, Daniel Zakapa, and Gwyneth Paltrow, and many more. Uh, with a runtime of two hours and seven minutes, this movie had a very humble, measly, 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 I guess is the word I'm trying to think of, $33 million, and had a whopping box office intake worldwide of $327.3 million. This movie was released on September 22nd, 1995, and the Rotten Tomatoes score stands as 83% from the critics, 95% from the audience. Its consensus is a brutal, relentlessly grim shocker with taunt performances, slick gore effects, and a haunting finale. This is the review and recap of Seven. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you're a new listener or if you're a returning listener, welcome to the Legit Cool Podcast where we review, recap, break down everything in movies, sometimes the occasional TV series. 
<clears throat> but that's uh, neither here or there. Um, if it's your first time here, welcome. And if you're a regular listener, thank you so much for showing up every time, continuing to support the show. Um, make sure you follow us on social media or whatever listening platform that you like to listen from, whether it's Spotify, Apple, Google, Podbean. Those are the only ones I mentioned because that is the only ones we are on. We are not on every single podcast uh, streaming listening service, um, but we are on those ones. <clears throat> so yeah, um, welcome to the 72nd episode. Wait, I need to double check that. Yes, 72nd episode. Well, we've done a lot, done a lot of reviews and a lot of recaps, and we still get a ton of requests, and we're very, very grateful for the requests, and we do want to chop away at a lot of these requests, but uh, and we also, you know, want to try and chop down on our list that we keep adding, well, <laughs> the list keeps growing, and um, we just love movies, right? And sometimes not all of us have the time for it, scheduling can be a little bit choppy um so that's why today you only have myself my name is river i am the founder of this podcast and um i have a couple of other friends that frequent the podcast as well that's nath sammy tony Ook, and jc lucas every now and then we'll bring in some guests um but today fortunately i'm not gonna say unfortunately it's not a reverse psychology thing fortunately you have just me today. And um, I'm pretty excited to talk about this movie. David Fincher is definitely one of my favorite directors. He would probably be considered as one of the top three musketeers of modern filmmaking in terms of uh, best directors out there. Um, the other two, um, I'd probably say Christopher Nolan and Quentin Tarantino. So some people might disagree with that, but if you, I, I think if you talk to any film person, they would likely 90% of the time, maybe 95% of the time, agree that the three of the best working filmmakers that are shaping and influencing modern cinema. Um, shaping and influence? No, I, I take that back. Not shaping and influence, because like, I don't want to undermine or diminish any other great filmmaker out there and just imply that they're all influenced and shaped by these three. But I would say that these three have are definitely leaving a mark in history for the 20th and the 21st century of yeah, modern filmmakers. So yeah, David Fincher, um, number, like number, <laughs> not number seven, the movie seven, which came out in 1995, is pretty much the, it's the movie that put this guy on the map. He did direct Alien 3, but a lot of us don't want to talk about Alien 3. <laughs> <laughs> it was an unfortunate circumstance. Um, as far as I understand that story, just real briefly about Alien 3, which is in some ways his film directorial debut, um, he had done some things prior to that, but they weren't really big numbers, nowhere near to the degree of Alien. Um, from what I'd heard, the stories go is that they brought him in pretty late into the production. I, I think they might have had a different director at the time and a, diff a different writer, and that writer wasn't obviously talking with David Fincher and how the vision of Alien 3 was going to be. And I think he did a lot of directing in post-production. That's what I've heard. I don't know if that's entirely accurate. You can look it up. Google's your friend. But nonetheless, you know, Seven, um, 
is a movie that really made a mark and a name for this guy. Now, this movie is... I, I would say I've seen this movie probably three times. And I don't remember the first two times I saw it. <laughs> I saw it recently, obviously, so I could review it on the podcast. Um, but I can't remember the last two times I've seen it. I definitely didn't see it during the time that it was released, like 95, because I would have been a child at the time. Um, there's no way that my dad is letting me watch that or my parents letting me watch that. <laughs> um, although I did find ways to watch crazy, gruesome, R-rated films when I was younger. Um but yeah, I, I think I saw this probably in my teens, and I remember it being a shocking, awesome thriller that made you think um, a lot more than cringe due to the gruesome violence or the gruesome nature of, of the film. So um, yeah, I just want to just start off by getting into my first impressions of the film, um, and I want to point out some highlights uh, talk a little bit about the production, the performances, and a little bit of the direction. So, straight off the bat, I really, really, really like, I'm going to say like, and I'll explain my, my reasons why I don't want to say love, <laughs> but with a, with a heavy underscore, I really, really like this film. And the reason why I don't want to say love because love's a strong word for a film and uh put it this way i would say that i love the craftsmanship in this film it's hard to say that i love the film because the content is just not something that you kind of like want to love um so in that respect i love the film and its craftsmanship the creativity behind it um but i really really like this film in terms of filming standards i think the writing is it's interesting enough to get under your skin and to keep you guessing along the way i think david fincher and obviously a lot of credit to andrew kevin walker um these guys do a great job at just unfolding the book so to speak just letting you read page by page instead of trying to jump ahead because there's enough mystery in the story to uh, hold back, withdraw information. Well, I mean, you know, that's what David Finch is doing. He's withdrawing information or holding back, not withdrawing, holding back information um, so, so as to really build that mystery behind the story. And um, I love the way that this is handled by two strong performances by Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman. They play two contrasting characters. Uh, Morgan Freeman plays a character that is pretty much on his way out of the door. He is ready to hang the coat. He's been a detective for God knows how long, probably like a hundred years. And, um, <laughs> and Brad Pitt is a freshman, you know, the equivalent to a freshman being a detective. And when you have these two opposing characters that uh, one's checked out, one's like energetic, full of blood, ready to just take down crime and ready to like, he's, He's passionate and he's driven to really be the 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 Batman of the situation. <laughs> um, but yeah, he has a lot of enthusiasm and he really wants to make his mark as a detective. Um, so when you have these two characters that are contrasting in some ways, Morgan Freeman is babysitting this freshman, Brad Pitt. Um, it creates a strong dynamic. Um, di yeah, 
<laughs> it creates a strong dynamic between the characters and they bicker and argue and sort of fight over many situations, sometimes small situations, but obviously the bigger picture. So this this kind of allows for us as viewers to to stay gripped to the story because we're trying to figure out the mystery behind all these murders the same way that Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman, but Brad Pitt is almost kind of like the surrogate viewer, a.k.a. us, and we're almost feeling the same way that he is because he's new. we're new to this the same way that he is. He's new to this. So it's it's kind of exciting. I think when when you have when you write these types of characters, it enables the story to breathe in areas where it wouldn't seem so interesting if you had two of the very similar characters. If you can just imagine Morgan Freeman times two, or you know, like Morgan Freeman's character and if Brad Pitt play, played a similar character, i.e., ready to retire kind of sick of this whole crime fighting bullshit and the city is not improving why do i need to you know the if you had two cynics playing this role i can imagine um this movie being pretty dull but the heart of the energy really comes from these two contrasting characters now full spoiler um full spoilers <laughs> i was gonna say spoiler reveal but that's not right um Full spoiler warning. That's what I'm talking about. The warning. Maybe the wine's getting to my head. <laughs> Just uh, drinking this actually delicious glass of wine from one of my favorite producers in Australia called Okada Barrels. Shout out to Okada Barrels. I brought it from my favorite wine and booze store. Beer and wine. Oh, what am I saying? Booze store. Um, called Oak Barrel. Shout out to the Oak Barrel boys. Um, yeah, I'm drinking this really nice wine. It's a Grenache. It's got a little bit of spice. Good complexity, tannins, nice and sweet. Oh, sound like a wine person. Anyway, um, yeah, full on spoilers. Spoiler. Um, I, I did want to say that I wanted to talk a little bit about Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey, who plays the murderer, plays the serial killer, and his name is John Doe. Great name, great name for a character, actually, John Doe. I like the fact that everybody understands that John Doe is the surrogate name that they give to a, a corpse that um, can't identify, can't be ID'd. And I like the fact that we learn that his name is John Doe and we're, we're always at the tipping point waiting to get a name reveal. But the cool thing, or one of the cool things about the reveal at the end is that we don't actually know his name. We have to just assume that he was born as John Doe. But I like how David Fincher and probably Andrew Walker with this as well, committed to this idea of keeping the murderer, the serial killer, a mystery. And his name is only John Doe. It kind of gives more, um, more creepy and evil depth to Kevin Spacey's character. Because all you want to do is just have zero sympathy, zero empathy for this character. And I think that's what they're trying to portray here, is to not have any kind of empathy and sympathy, which I'm fine with. You know, you can create an interesting character that's a serial killer that's that you empathize with, sympathize with. Um, 
but in this case they didn't. They just wanted to commit to the concept of seven deadly sins, use the serial killer as as sort of a tool to really sell that story. It was great. It was perfect. Wasn't didn't want anything less. I wouldn't have like I wouldn't even change anything about that script. I wouldn't want to know what his real name is. So yeah, that's kind of cool. So overall, like the movie is quite good. It's not something that you want to watch all the time. Seven is a movie that's it's a like tonal preferences or preferential tone, mood, something like that. You don't want to be watching this movie. Or this movie doesn't give you that rewatchability factor. Rewatchability movies are comfort, fun, endearing, soft, gentle, all those types of things. But Seven is not that. <laughs> Seven is uncomfortable and it's creepy and it makes you fearful the whole time. makes you kind of want to turn away from the screen every now and then because the, the murders are pretty gruesome. And I do like the fact that we don't see the murders. It's all about the display, the demonstration of the seven deadly sins or the, the end result of those seven deadly sins. I like how David Fincher made that choice to just give us screenplay, give us plot narrative through what ends up being an investigation on the the result and not seeing how these murders actually took place. Very interesting direction. And on paper, if anybody was to try and direct that, I can imagine that'll be very difficult because it limits your creativity. But it just forces you to tell a better story through character, through dialogue, and um, scripting. Yeah, so it was really fun. Now I want to get into the uh, next exciting part of this podcast. The plot. So starting right at the beginning, in an unarmed, not an unarmed, let's start again. Maybe I'm just going to have a drink of my wine first. (laughs) Okay. In an unnamed city, overcome with violent crime and corruption, disillusioned police detective William Somerset which is played by Morgan Freeman, is one week from retirement. One week from retirement. I can imagine if I was in his shoes, just a quick side side note before we get into the rest of the plot. If I was in his shoes and I was in a city that was also unnamed, I didn't even know because I had maybe had amnesia, and it was full of violent crime and corruption, I think I'd be just as upset, if not worse, than the way Morgan Freeman plays his character. Kind of like Gotham. They're almost describing Gotham in this. Hmm. He is partnered with David Mills, played by Brad Pitt, a young, short-term, tempered, short, short, not short-term, short-tempered, idealistic detective who recently relocated to the city with his wife Tracy, played by Gwyneth Paltrow. On Monday, Somerset and Mills investigate an obese man who was forced to eat until his stomach burst killing him whoa how do you force someone 
so much that his stomach bursts. That's an interesting idea. I don't think that's actually humanly possible. Or biologically possible. Could be. If you're a human biology major, maybe you could comment on this. Reply. Tell us if this is true. This is something that could happen. I don't know if it's a human biology question. Anyway. The detectives find the word. Quote. Gluttony. Unquote. Written on a wall. Somerset, considering the case too extreme for his last investigation, asked to be reassigned to another case, but his request is denied. The following day, another victim who had been forced to cut one pound, that's 0.45 kilos, so 450 grams, yeah, of his flesh from his body is found. The crime scene is marked, quote, greed. Unquote. Clues of the scene lead Somerset and Mills to the sloth victim, a drug dealing pederast, pederast, whom pederast, whom they found emancipated, emas, em, emaciated. Jeez, I can't even read. <laughs> whom they find emaciated and restrained to a bed photographs reveal the victim was restrained for exactly one year somerset surmises the murders are based on the christian concept of the seven deadly sins okay we've covered quite a bit of the plot already we've jumped not a substantial amount but we've covered quite a bit i just want to start on the first deadly sin and I want to read this from a Catholic publication called CatholicAnswers.com. Very cliched, but yes, let's go with that. So this is from a publication that they wrote about the seven deadly sins. I did a little bit of Googling and found this. I think this is, this is quite interesting. I don't know if it's anything to go off on, but I'm just, uh, just going to read it anyway. But how did the said seven deadly sins come into existence? The first Christian to write extensively in Latin was Tertullian of Carthage. And he was also the first to enumerate the deadliest at seven. His ranking of sins did not last through the third century, but he did provide later the theologians with seven, or with the number seven, a classical symbolic number of wholeness or thoroughness, which lasts to this day. Not much was done with this list of sins until Christianity was legalized in AD 313. Why so? I don't know if that told us much about the seven deadly sins, but it gives us an insight to perhaps how the Christian culture, the Christian world, um, religion, the Catholic perspective um, sees the seven deadly sins. I think they further they go on to further write about how there's no such thing, or they at least they imply, that's kind of what I understood from this publication, they imply that the seven deadly sins is not really uh, quote-unquote deadly sins, meaning that this implies that these are the deadliest. I don't think that's what the Christian religion uh, believes or supports, but they just write something, it's almost like a dissertation about seven deadly sins to further elaborate why the early Christian... Uh, 
Tertullian of Carthage wrote about it. Interesting. It's kind of like facts of the day. Um, this is, like, what are, what are the key points to anchoring the character Somerset played by Morgan Freeman is he, because he's one week away from retirement, this particular crime, their first crime that they stumble across as a duo is the gluttony crime where this guy is, oh, 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 I had a heart attack almost. I thought I spilt my wine, but luckily I put the, the screw top on. <laughs> Woo! Okay. Just take another sip. Okay, so this first crime that they stumble across is gluttony crime. You know, he's 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 ready to be checked out. I'm pretty sure like the last crime that he wants before he retires is probably some petty crime, maybe like a convenience store robbery or ah, uh, I don't know. Sexual harassment. <laughs> That's not a petty crime. <laughs> I mean, there's a, like you know, sexual harassment. Um, I guess is smaller. I don't want to diminish sexual harassment. Anyway, uh, it's you know he wants something smaller. I'm, I'm sure he doesn't want something even crazy. So it's interesting that the writer and David Fincher decided that let's put this character immediately into the corner. Let's back him into the corner so that he's forced to be in a mental situation where it devises the character a bit or at least sets the character on a certain road figuring out the rest of these murders i thought that was interesting it's a very clever way of writing a interesting character so both him and brad pitt you know they're sort of stuck in this case together the visuals in this you know and let me just talk a little bit about the tone of the film you know the visuals the tone the the use of color um, everything is quite dull there is a lack of color there is a lack of life you could say you know and all like the entire production all the set pieces that's so well detailed kudos and credit to whoever the production designer is maybe i should mention production designers a lot more in these reviews because they do a lot of heavy lifting you know for these these scenes to just look amazing but then if i do that then i have to talk about the the gaffers you know the lighting crew the camera work. it's a lot lots to talk about and i don't want to i don't mind or diminish anybody's skillful work in making films but i just wanted to say that a movie like this requires great visual effects we're talking about visual practical effects i'm not talking about cgi i'm talking about visual practical effects to really sell sell this story being gruesome depraved um or having a sense of depravity from the victims right and and sort of the feeling the tone of each scene makes you feel like you're depraved of something which is depraved of goodness which is this is an another like theological definition of sin or doing evil is a depravity of good or a private depravity a privation privation of good is what sin or evil is um yeah so like just massive credit like when we see this huge dude and i'm sure it's like it's it's a prop i'd be surprised if it was a stunt person just wearing like a fat suit or something i'd be surprised because that person was on the table for ages but you know it's filmmaking lots of magic that goes on 
so this practical this the practical effects on this are just great so everything about it you can you, when you see it you can almost smell what's going on and i love how the characters react to this and the characters play a pivotal role of really selling the story is their reaction to smells it's like almost every almost every sin that they come across that has this crazy stench and i'm sitting there sort of cringing going oh that's i can smell that too Ugh. just brilliant brilliant writing and brilliant attention to detail these small things are very important um when you have good writing like this it ignites all those senses that should be ignited obviously like in when you're experiencing film in the cinema or wherever which watching at home um the only sense that you can't um activate is your <laughs> your 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 smells you can't smell things from movies but good storytelling allows for that imagination to really take a run so yeah brilliant brilliant first opening scene for the characters and also for the story tracy invites somerset to share upper uh, share upper share supper with her and mills helping the detectives overcome their mutual hostility on friday tracy meets privately with somerset because she has no other acquaintances in the city remember these guys are new into the city so it's such a jarring experience for them they've heard about we can assume that they've heard about how bad the city is but they moved here because brad is the working man of the couple um and he's got a new job so he this guy probably has some goals like like how a lot of young people would become detectives for the first time on the job he probably has some massive goals of being the best detective and taking down crime again being like that batman figure of the city um so morgan freeman decides to meet with uh yeah with uh gwyneth paltrow she reveals her unhappiness at moving there especially after learning she is pregnant and believes the city is an unfit place to raise a child i would agree with that i would agree with that somerset sympathizes with tracy having persuaded his former girlfriend girlfriend to abort their child for similar reasons and regretting it ever since he advises Tracy to inform Mills only if she intends to keep the child. Now, this this is some key piece of scripting that I wonder if someone like David Finter is a Catholic or is or a Christian practicing or not, because this uh this piece of scripting almost kind of implies or I'm gonna stop using the word implies. Uh, it almost gives you the sense that they they want to send a message about um, abortion and also like having a family and you know sh sharing his side of the story um, and that he I, I guess he's encouraging her to keep it because he would only really advise um, he advised yeah he advises Tracy to inform Mills only if she intends to keep it okay um, he's really talking about like you know you should only tell him if you intend to keep it um if you decide to abort then maybe you shouldn't tell him about it um so it's an interesting choice for scripting you know he didn't really need to write this in for Gwyneth Paltrow's character um because movie scripting is just whatever you make it up to be and um I just thought that was interesting and I I think that it kind of gives me the impression that David Fincher may be a Christian or a Catholic or some some kind um, maybe that's why he wanted to write this movie about seven deadly sins. 
um yeah this is an interesting interesting dynamic and it's, it's such a short scene between morgan freeman and gwyneth powder and i sort of put this scene down to seeing a side to somerset's character or us learning a side to somerset's character that enables us to care more for his character so i think this this scene is really to it's really written so that uh it's a vehicle for us to learn about the softer side of somerset's life and so that he's he's not just a guy that's been through ragtag shit all his life and you know because up until this point we've only learned about his him potentially not really liking his career and um because of the way he feels sort of withered and over over being a detective for so many years and he's ready to he's excited about retirement and this scene coming coming straight after the fact that he wanted to change the jobs or he wanted to go to a different uh, a different investigation case because this one's too heavy you know leading up into this part where we learn about his sympathetic side it, it allows us to give a more holistic 3d view on this character and and i have to tell you like you know by the time we get to the end morgan freeman probably has the most complex character brad pitt still does a great performance i'm not trying to say that he's he doesn't it's just his character is a bit one note compared to somerset's character which was probably the intention from david fincher and um andrew walker uh yeah nonetheless and also at this point um it's interesting that tracy hasn't said anything anything about her being pregnant which is probably more it's probably due to the fact of us of david fincher selling the idea that the city is a terrible place and i'm going to use this patro's character to explain that a little bit or be illustrative about that through scripting and character um so it's it's kind of reinforcing that idea that the city is bad city is very very bad although my my only thing about painting this picture about the city is that we only see one person commit the crimes so although it can seem like gotham-esque city think about gotham and any of the batman series tv series movies we see all sorts of crime from a lot of people here we only see it displayed by one person so i it's not really a point of criticism it's just an interesting an interesting take on displaying a cruel and evil city a comment by mills inspires somerset to research libraries for anyone checking out li- uh, checking out books based on seven deadly sins leading the pair to the apartment of john doe kevin spacey don doe <laughs> doe unexpectedly returns home and is pursued by mills who is incapacitated after doe strikes him with a tire iron (laughs) doe momentarily holds mills at gunpoint but soon flees the police investigate doe's apartment finding a large amount of cash hundreds of notebooks revealing doe's psychopathy and photographs of some of his victims the case includes images of somerset and mills by a person they believed was an intrusive journalist at the sloth crime scene doe calls the apartment and speaks of his admiration 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 
couple meals. Man, I'm really struggling to read anything. I don't know. Trust me, it's not the wine. I've only had like two sips of my wine. <laughs> Look, it's Friday. Maybe a little bit tired. Got a lot of podcasting to do in the coming weeks. Which I'm excited for. Yes, I am very excited for. I'm just feeling a little bit flat on the grammar today. Um, okay, so we're, we're pretty much at the midpoint of this film. The midpoint of the film, um, we get the reveal of our murderer. We get the reveal of our psychopath serial killer in the form of Kevin Spacey. And the interesting part is that this leads into the full reveal of the rest of the sins in the third act. Now, what I like about this plot structure or this, what I like about this story structure from david fincher and andrew walker is that they wanted us to learn about who the serial killer is earlier on to divert expectations uh, any anytime we watch thrillers uh serial killer slasher films whatever it might be horror films the reveal is always in the third act sometimes at the beginning of the third act mostly more often than not middle of the third act and especially at the end of the third act so this creates an interesting point of the story where it allows the story to grow even further in excitement energy and mystery um, mystery in the sense that we now as viewers as audience members want to know what is going to be the next trick in the bag for someone like John Doe and the guys putting this film together David Fincher and Andrew Walker um, and I do like how we we still have that mysterious figure anyway. We don't know it's Kevin Spacey. We don't see his face. It's just like a silhouette. Um, or it's just like a figure in the back. You know, he's, he kind of wears this trench coat with a hat. Kind of looks like, um, who is it? Pink Panther or something. <laughs> kind of looks a little bit like that from a distance. And the choice to for John Doe's character to not kill Mills is a very interesting choice. And I'm I'm sort of wondering, you know, because I watched it again this weekend, uh, the weekend that just passed, um, to review and to prepare the review and recap for this episode. Um, I was like lost lost for words. I didn't really know what the decision was and then and sort of my mind started to tick over and get into sort of hypercritical mode where i started to think okay this is kind of a flaw and um in the story it's kind of a flaw and potentially the, the character that we still don't know much about until like john doak the character um but like where do you go from here how do you how do you continue to make the character threatening villainous and evil while he for some magical reason decided to give a second chance to brad pitt's character it's not until we get that reveal later and once we get that reveal later which i'm about to get into in the third act i kick myself and i'm like see you should have just waited of course of course just be patient river be patient because the reveal is going to be the best payoff and it was truly was the best payoff um on saturday Somerset and Mills investigate the fourth victim, Lust, a prostitute who has been raped with custom made, with a custom made bladed strap on by a man held at gunpoint. This was a crazy, a crazy 
visual element for a um, murder investigation scene, or you know, for for a sin. I was wondering how are they gonna portray lust because all the the portrayal for all the other sins um, kind of give you a, like like it gives you enough creativity straight off the bat to go okay cool i know what to do with this i know what to do with gluttony i know what to do with uh um what are the other ones <laughs> i don't want to do with sloth you know maybe sloth is a little bit difficult but you get what i'm saying right like how would you portray lust as as sort of a crime scene and sure enough it's pretty creative with this um that was <laughs> when you see this it like I, I'm glad that David Fincher decided to not give us long, glaring shots of this image. He gives us glimpses, like two seconds, and then pulls away, goes to the character. A couple more seconds of glimping at this crazy sculpture, and then pulls away. Um, yeah, I thought that was very generous. We don't, we don't need a lot of it. We need a little bit, and then you explain the rest of it through, or you, um, you experience the rest of it through the dialogue or the monologue from the victim, which was awesome acting by that guy. Don't know his name. Seen him in a few movies, but um, yeah, awesome, awesome performance from that guy in the interrogation cell. Um, the following day, the pride victim is found. She is a model whom Doe facially disfigured and died by suicide rather than live without her beauty. As Somerset and Mills return to the police station, Doe arrives and surrenders himself. Now. This is another, like, cat-out-of-the-bag type situation, similar to John Doe giving him a second chance, giving Mills a second chance. Um, David Fincher decides to throw another span of the works and really subvert our expectations. Before, like, this is probably the beginning of the third act, we have our mystery serial killer who decides to give himself up and go into custody it's fascinating um and also like you know by the time you get to the end of it you're like of course why didn't i think of that <laughs> just brilliant storytelling i think from from both fincher and andrew walker so he decides to give himself up he's full of blood and all that blood is from like him doing the most pre uh the latest murder which was um the pride victim he threatens to plead ins plead to insanity at his trial, potentially escaping punishment, unless Mills and Somerset escort him to an undisclosed location where they will find the envy and wrath victims. During the drive, Doe says he believes God has chosen him to send a message about the ubiquity of an apathy toward sin. Doe has no remorse for his victims, believing the shocking murders will force society to pay him attention. Now, um, this last piece of scripting for the film is probably the best part of the entire film. Just the pure brilliance behind scripting, dialogue, characterizations, character interactions, character rebuttals, character arguments was some of the best scripting or just yeah just just the best part of the film period doe leads the de detectives to a remote location where a delivery van approaches somerset intercepts the vehicle 
whose driver was instructed to deliver to Mills a package at this specific time. Somerset is horrified at the package's contents and tells Mills to put his gun down. Doe reveals himself, he himself. Let me say that again. <laughs> Doe reveals he himself represents envy because he envied Mills' life with Tracy and implies the package contains her severed head. He urges Mills to become wrath, telling him Tracy begged for her life and that of her unborn child and takes pleasures, pleasure in realizing Mills was unaware of the pregnancy. Despite Somerset's pleas, Mills, distraught and enraged, shoots Doe dead, completing Doe's plan. Police remove the catatonic Mills, and Somerset tells his captain he will be around. Somerset says in voiceover, Ernest Hemingway once wrote, The world is a fine place and worth fighting for. I agree with that part. I agree with the second part. <laughs> Let me say that again, okay. Somerset says in a voiceover, Ernest Hemingway once wrote, The world is a fine place and worth fighting for. I agree with the second part. <laughs> and that is the end of the plot for Seven by David Fincher and Andrew Walker. Great, brilliant, brilliant filmmaking from the two of them. Now, I want to talk briefly about this final act. Um, I don't want to talk too much about this final act, but let's just talk briefly about it. This this was written in such a way that the characters are pulled completely away from their comfort zone. You know, they think they have this cat in the bag. Why do I keep saying cats in bags? They think they have an ace in a hole. <laughs> they think that they've got everything sorted, that they're, they're, they're about to get the dub, right? And that they're in full control of the situation. The moment Doe reveals the last two sins, envy and wrath, all that security is stripped away from our characters, bearing nothing but hopelessness, Rage, resentment, and sin. So what a brilliant way to wrap up the two sins, or a brilliant way to wrap up all the sins. Now, I was wondering as we were going throughout this film that if there's seven sins and we're spending quite a lot of time on the first two sins, we sort of granny step our way towards this, the second two, then we've got four. Then we get to the fifth one, which is probably at the end of the second act, I'd imagine. Um, I'm sort of thinking, man, this we've seen about an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes of this film. We've still got two more sins to go. Are we really going to cover that in 15 minutes? <sighs> all these thoughts, all these critical thoughts that I had in my head. I've learned my lesson so many times. We've seen so many movies, spoke about talked about, chatted, conversed, argued, and debated about movies all the time, and I never learned my lesson about 
having inner critical thoughts. <laughs> but I just put it down to just being me, like, you know, me being so excited about watching a film. By the time we get to the end of it, or even throughout watching a film, like, man, I can't wait to talk about this film to somebody, one of my friends, the podcast, the listener, you know. It was, this was a very exciting film to talk about. And no wonder why it's um, David Finch's film that really launched his career. Um, and for him to be working with pretty like pretty top-class actors even at this time in 1985, um, Morgan Freeman was a pretty decorated actor. He had done Shawshank Redemption just the year before this. Um, he did Unforgiven with... Uh, um, what's his name? <laughs> Clint Eastwood. Jeez, I was going to say Kevin Costner. Did Unforgiven with him. He did The Power of One, which is also a quite great, inspiring film. Um, Brad Pitt, on the other hand, he didn't have as a decorated career compared to Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman's like 200 years old. So Brad Pitt, um, at this time, you know, early 90s was kind of the beginning of his very, very decorated career as we know it today. Um, and before this, he had only done Legends of the Four, which came out in 1984. He did Interview with the Vampire, which to me is the greatest vampire story ever told. Um, yeah, working with some big name actors. And, you know, Kevin Spacey, like, you know, he's an awesome actor as well. Really, really talented. I'm not sure if this, I think this was before American Beauty. Can't remember what else Kevin Spacey did before 1995 but let me have a quick squiz on imdb um um um, um scrolling all the way to z bottom to 95 oh yeah so he did the usual suspects wow what a great movie by um brian singer that's a movie that we should definitely review and recap on the podcast um he did that in the same year um some movies there he would have done before that that were pretty well known. Um, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, yeah, that was kind of well known ish. Maybe you've never even heard of that movie. If I'm saying this, so a lot of film people have heard, definitely not that film. Um, so like not a lot of films that you had prior to um, Seven. Yeah, that is interesting. Why isn't Seven in his IMDb thing? What's going on here? <laughs> oh, no, it is. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, and he had a movie called Outbreak as well. I don't know if anybody saw that. Outbreak was really interesting movie too. It's about monkeys outbreaking. <laughs> That's from a guy called Wolfgang Peterson, by the way. I didn't know he directed that. He directed Troy, which is a love-hate relationship type of movie. Anyway, um, that is the end of the review and recap for Seven by David Fincher. I really want to review and recap many of the other David Fincher movies. There's a movie that I really adore from him that is really underrated, and that is The Game that has Michael Douglas in it, and he does an awesome performance. I think that's one of his best movies for sure. Um, yeah, maybe I'll do, do the rest of them. I really like Panic Room. I love Fight Club. <sighs> so many good movies. His most recent one is is The Killer, which is 
led by Michael Fassbender. I saw that with a friend of mine, uh, Charles Babinski. Charles Babinski. That guy's. That guy's. A, he, he he's a dude. He's the man. He's the man. The master of all the crafts that he's involved in, and um. <clears throat> incorrect opinions on films. <laughs> no. no. He's not going to listen to this. Maybe we're going to send him this soundbite. Anyway, uh, yeah, there's just so many great movies from David Fincher. As I said at the beginning of this recording, the beginning of this po- this episode, um, there th- he's definitely up there with um, yeah, Christopher Nolan and Tarantino as like sort of the younger, newer, sort of mid to late '90s, early 2000s filmmakers of this generation. I'm not comparing him these guys. Or even him, for that matter, um, to Spielberg, Scorsese, and all those types of greats from the past. Kubrick, those guys are the previous generation. I'm talking about the newer generation. Okay, so that brings me to the end of this episode. Make sure you follow us on social media at Legit Cool Podcast. You can find us on Facebook, uh, which is Legit Cool Podcast Movie Talk. But definitely follow us on Instagram, which is at Legit Cool Podcast, because we're always posting things on there. We're always interacting with our followers on there. We're always updating with some new content. Um, and hit the bell notification button, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Podbean. And a big shout out to Riverside.fm. It's not, it's just a coincidence that I chose Riverside. <laughs> um, great platform to be recording podcasts and shout out to these guys so yeah thank you for the support and we will see you in the next episode